Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Hey, a blizzard and good afternoon to everybody and welcome to the Water Zone. I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davey and we are the host of the show for the day. And hope everybody's having a great afternoon. So, Mr. Davey, how are you doing out in Southern California? Blended, buddy. It's starting to act like Southern California. It's 81 outside right now. Nicely done. Ah, that's that's nice. It's a little chilly out here, a little windy. Supposed to get into the 70s, but I haven't seen that yet. It's in the high 60s. And uh, just enjoying a beautiful sunny day. And the skies are blue as can be. And... Uh, it's an awesome day to be around. So anyway, I'm going to be in your neck of the woods starting tomorrow what, for the Super Bowl weekend, buddy, in Phoenix. That, Unfortunately, I'm not going to the Super Bowl, but I'll be in well, Phoenix while the Super Bowl is going on there. Uh, I hope the air, I know I know you're flying, and I'm just going to tell you that yeah. the airport's been crazy the last this last week yeah, because I we know. also we we also have the waste management golf tournament going on as well. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> yep. And they get thousands of people. They, they said there was like 2,000 or 3,000 people at the golf uh, tournament. And, and, you know, for the weekend, for Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, that's, that's nearing the end of the uh, the, the game. So it's going to be jam-packed. And uh, every hotel is booked. Every 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 motor home that you can rent is rented. And uh, same thing with the houses and everything else. So it's a pretty big deal here in, uh, in Phoenix. Well, as I told you, Rob, we tried to come back Monday, this coming Monday. Could not get a flight to save our lives, so we had to postpone. We're not going back till Tuesday now. Uh, well, it's the way it is. Busy, busy town. Town's going to make lots of money, so uh, that's, that's right. a good thing. And from what I hear, there's tons of security all over the place. Yep. So, so they got, uh, they said 30-something uh, uh, police organizations or you know uh, that are going to be here. Uh, or are here to protect everybody, so it should be uh, should be interesting. Anyway, um, let's introduce Miss Chris Austin, who is our weekly specialist on California water and other things. Uh, she is the purveyor of Maven's Notebook. So, Chris Austin, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you all doing? Great as well. Yeah. We're all trying to be as good as you. <laughs> well, <laughs> we're up here, up here in North. In Northern California, sitting in between the state's two largest reservoirs, we've been having some really very nice weather, um, uh, but cold, so that's good. Um, you know, it's been in like the 50s, low 60s here, which means it's much colder up in the mountains, which is which keeps the snow up there, and that's what we want. Um, we have a few, that, huh? No, I was going to say I did hear that they're gonna they're, they think there's going to be some more snow coming. Yeah, there's there's some snow, uh, something small on Friday night, perhaps, and something uh, early next week. Nothing near the scale of what we had uh, there in the end of December and early January. Certainly not that, not that intense. But uh, but we'll take anything, anything, yeah. and you know, and what we need is just. Storms to come through and add to the snowpack and to keep it cold so the snowpack doesn't melt yet. And so far, so good. So, uh, 
Well, given given that great news, um, I've been reading more about all the states that are, are discussing the Colorado River, and I understand there's still a holdout. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, six states against California, and the issue has come down. You know, we've been talking about this for, oh, gosh, at least six months. There's been this supposed deadline that, that never really ever seems to be that dead of a line um, about, <laughs> you know, making these major cuts to Colorado River use. And uh, so it's all boiled down to now um, the, the issue of evaporation. And the six other states have, uh, have decided or joined together and proposed that by uh, assigning evaporation losses in the system, uh, that would be a way to cut everybody back uh, fairly. Now, how much evaporation is a function in part of how far the water has to go to get to you. So you can sort of see that California is at the end of the line there. (laughs) And uh, so they're not too happy about that. Uh, You know, it's kind of interesting how uh, the Colorado River it, uh, must have been in water development one of the earliest uh, instances where they actually made a deal because they really did not do a very good job in a sense. You know, when they when they signed the Colorado River Compact, instead of giving people a percent of how much water was in the river, they gave they gave out quantities, right? Set quantities. Um, and that was great when there was lots and lots of water, but now as the water isn't, uh, you know, isn't there anymore, these quantities don't, don't work very well. Um, you know, this is in contrast to, say, the state water project in California, where there is, every contractor is assigned a percentage. And so then, you know, DWR says this much water is available and everybody gets their percentage of however much water is available. Um, And so it's sort of self-implementing in that if it's a dry year, um, then that's reflected, uh, you know, in Col- on the Colorado River, it's not reflected. And, and I'll tell you, too, evaporation... Uh, People figured out pretty fast you had to account for evaporation and and seepage loss when you transfer water uh, because it, it water is evaporating, water is seeping into the canals and you just can't pretend like it, it that's not happening. So you know, like when they transfer water here in California, um, about twenty if if you if you transfer a hundred thousand acre feet. I, it's my understanding that you'll get about 80,000 acre feet when it gets to you here if it has to cross the delta. So, you know, the guy, they send 100,000 acre feet from Northern California and they just know 20,000 acre feet is going to get lost on, on the journey. It's, and that's it, part of the math. They don't have that there in on the Colorado River, so that's a real big. It's a real big issue, and now they're trying to figure out what to do. And uh, you know, California, and really the holdout is is really 
the Imperial Valley, uh, they have the longest rights on on the river, and they have um, roughly three times the amount of entitled water than Metropolitan. So you know, Metropolitan, uh, I think, only has like 1.2 million acre feet, and Imperial Valley has 3.1 million acre feet. And Imperial Valley has the largest uh, share of Colorado River water, and people are really looking to, uh, you know, to the Imperial Valley to make to make a big gesture, and uh, they just haven't been inclined. And it's interesting because in the past, um, Metropolitan, like when they were signing the Drought Contingency Plan, which was the first major plan of how they were going to to deal with less water on the Colorado River, um, the Imperial Irrigation District was the holdout, and Metropolitan sided with the remaining states, and and IID was just on their own. And, you know, they eventually came on to the agreement, but, uh, you know, it was... So I, I was surprised. And so apparently what's going to happen, I think, is... Uh, there, there isn't a complete consensus, but the Bureau of Reclamation is going to make the make the call at some point, and this is probably going to lead to litigation because you know it's California water, it's it's Western water, and you know, and we so litigation is what's going to come in, um, and you know we're we're really headed there, but. We're headed there because of these these weird set of constraints that you know at that the, everyone's entitlement is in an actual amount and there isn't enough amount to satisfy the entitlement. So how are you going to divide that up? Um, and just there there's just a lot of questions here and a lot of how are the water rights going to going to work? Um, so this is you know these are some tough issues uh, yeah. that they're facing and you know this isn't lawyers drumming up business there's real issues and uh, a lot of things that just aren't known un- you know and poorly written and have you know so it's western water folks yeah it got described on uh, you know when you when you had news from around the web right it got described as western states playing a game of chicken with each other. I mean, that's, that's really how serious it is, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, well, I, I like the, the headline, uh, Reclamation has to make a sol- Solomonic choice, like, yeah. you know, t- having to divide the baby. Um, I mean, it, and, uh, you know, again, it, if, if it was in percentages, this would be so much more easier. Everyone would just yeah. get the percent of what's left, but no, yeah. it's not. Everybody has these solid amounts, and they're you know. So mm-hmm. this is where it's just going to be really tough decision. And you know, they used to say a few years ago, uh, Metropolitan would talk about how they get along on the Colorado River and they can work through these things, and it's so much easier than the Delta. Seven states and a and a foreign country. It's so much easier than the Delta. Yeah, but you know, when I, uh, you know, when it when it gets really difficult, and and these are the cuts that are going to hurt, um, and it's just 
it's hard. People, you know, tend to fall back to, uh, well, you know, their constituents, right? Well, so, no matter what the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation does, you'll you'll know there'll be a court fight. Once that court fight is done, you can bet your dollar that, that they're going to uh, try to appeal it and go back again. And if that fails at that, then or whatever the decision comes, the next step is they're going to go to the Supreme Court. That, yeah. And that's going to, that's going to take a long time. Well, and through. the problem unless, is... Unless the U.S. government decides to issue some special ruling uh, or emergency declaration... Uh, I, I don't know how that's going to be resolved in the short term. I don't know. It's gonna it's gonna be something to see. I think. Um, uh, but yeah, they're you know they're going to have to do something, or Mother Nature's just going to do it do it for them. Um, yeah. It's it's really tough. I'm glad I don't have to sit in that negotiating room because <laughs> you know it. These cuts are going to be painful for everybody, and mm-hmm. it's, so it's just trying to figure out how to spread that pain. Yeah. So yeah. I don't there's know. Also, oh, sorry, Rob. I was just going to say there's also the looking forward part of this, right? So when you when you think about the quote unquote how do we fix it kind of a thing, right? Is there is there any progress being made on you know new water storage facilities programs and stuff like that? I know that um, I know that there was a a couple that were in the work voted back on back in 2014 that are kind of still waiting for funding. Oh, are, oh, you mean in in California? I mean, on the Colorado River, they've done all sorts of things, but they aren't contemplating new new dams there. But yes, in yes, in, California, in California, yeah, yeah, you know, we we have these uh, we have the money that uh, was vote voters approved Prop One in in uh, I think 2014. Uh, that appropriated money for new water storage. So if those projects have been winding their way through the process, um, it's a, it's a long process, uh, mostly in part because some of these uh, projects are pretty large uh, scale uh, construction projects. But there's a, a couple of them that are groundwater projects, and groundwater generally has much less infrastructure. Uh, so we actually have the, one of the first of the groundwater projects on this water storage program is going to be coming up to for their final award hearing in the middle of this year. And, and following that, very likely um, at the end of this year, perhaps beginning of next year, will be a, a reservoir expansion uh, in the Bay Area, uh, the Los Vaqueras expansion. So we're finally starting to see some of the movement on these uh, on these water storage projects. Uh, but the dam projects, like they, they would start construction next year on raising Los Vaqueros Dam. It won't be operational until um, uh, like 2030 in some some cases. So a question for both Chris is here. Do you believe that the future of water in California is going to be water reuse? Meaning building plants that can process reused water, you know, to reuse the water. You think that's going to be on top of uh, 
top of the list of what we need to do? Well, in we've certainly done a really good job on recycling water here in Southern California. We have a lot of projects that have had been constructed and a lot more projects being constructed. Um, and the, you know, sort of the shining example of that is Orange County's groundwater replenishment uh, system. And they recycle the water and, and put it in the groundwater. And um, the amazing thing about that system is that uh, Orange County, when they started to build it and developed it, uh, they they got right on the recycled water and uh, they they did a pretty good job of obviously of selling it to the people that were there and now people come in and uh, you know it's already there so you know so many people object to the idea of recycled water and they can really derail some projects sometimes uh, but Orange County has done a good job of you know keeping their citizens involved. And if you've been to Disneyland, you you drank recycled water, so you know it's uh, so definitely. I think it's going to be a big part of of the equation, no doubt. Is that you know that's just one other way to. You know, there's another treatment plant. Um, I think it's near. It's off the 405 freeway. I can't remember the name of it. I had visited when they first were doing it. And that seems to be pretty pretty busy as well. But I think those are important things uh, to look at. You know, you know, water water is going to hurt everything. I know you, you did a big thing in your uh, in your blog about the future of ag in the San Joaquin Valley and what's going to happen there, especially if they uh, finally settle this thing with between the Colorado River. What's going to happen with with that location? I mean, it's gonna it's gonna hurt farming so bad. Yeah, uh, you know, it's tough times in the San Joaquin Valley, no doubt, um, as we're trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, implement sustainable groundwater management. Um, it's, uh, you know, they're doing what they can, I think. Everyone wants to recharge water, and I they did make a lot of effort to, to get, as you know, to get some of that stormwater into the aquifers. Um, I think there's more, much more that could be done. Uh, those are the sort of projects that uh, that we need to be working on as we move forward. But uh, you know, this, these sporadic, extreme deluges of water. But yeah, you know, it's, it's tough. There's so much tough stuff for the San Joaquin Valley. It's not just implementation of the uh of the sustainable groundwater management act but also what comes as they're redoing the bay delta plan which affects how much water we can pump from the delta which goes out to the san joaquin valley for farming in cities um and those flow objectives are being revised and that that's going to take more water away from them more surface water away from them as uh, you know, they we, they work to try and balance their uh, greatly depleted groundwater basins. So it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We're going to have to see, you know, and it's, and it's not just California. I mean, the uh, Ogallala Aquifer in the Midwest is also not doing so great either. Um, and that's one underlies several states, and I don't think they've, 
ever been able to come together and kind of figure out what to do. So that, you know, I, it's, well, I mean, you, you start looking at the, the satellite from around the world, the gray satellite, you see that all the farming areas are depleted really worldwide of groundwater, which is kind of a looming scary thing. Well, I can tell you, Chris, from physically seeing here in Southern California that the efforts to do groundwater recharge are well underway. I mean, I see two of them on my way to work, and one of them last weekend when I had to go to LAX, I drove by the San Gabriel River, you know, the Santa Fe Dam and Circulation Basin. Uh-huh. All of those were, were full, and uh, water being fed in, into them from um, up in San Gabriel Canyon from the Morris Dam um, and the other dam, yes. I can't remember it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up, up there. Um, also, the Santa Ana River Basin, uh, all of that stuff is, all of those percolation basins are being uh, filled. I saw from local news stories that the same thing is happening out in the Sepulveda Basin, right? In the San Fernando yes, uh-huh. Valley. Uh, same thing happening there. So you can you can physically see all of those ground recharge efforts uh, happening right now. Yeah, and I think that the press sort of, uh, I think unfairly knocked a, kept knocking California as not saving the rainwater. And, and I think that, well, I'm sure we could have done much better and we need to do much more in the future. Um, people were mobilized. People were, you know, kind of ready. We were hoping for a, a nice wet year and people were prepared. Uh, they had an expedited permit process. Uh, so those that wanted to do these, you know, flood their farm fields could get uh, permits right away to do it. Um, so I, you know, it uh, was it perfect? No, but we did, but we did make progress, and I think we will continue to do that. Hopefully, we get some more wet years or some more big storms like that. I hope it's not over for the year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Happened before, hasn't it, Chris? Oh, yeah. Yeah, just last year. But we'll we'll see what happens. We're we're certainly knocking on on wood with a little bit of a disturbance coming through the West Coast um, this weekend. But as you said, nothing like we had in late December and through three-quarters or, you know, two-thirds of January. Oh, yeah, yeah. But we'll hope we get some more of those. But uh, for now, we, at least we have snow in the mountains, so it, we're kind of being optimistic and hoping for a, yeah. a nice cold winter. Yeah, as I told Rob before we came on the uh, on the air, the Southern California snow-capped mountains are starting to uh, dwindle pretty quick, and that's going to happen with when you get 80-degree days there. But it's uh, it's just like you, it's going to cool down starting tomorrow and get back to you know, seasonal winter temperatures. So we should be we should be good. Anything else on the horizon that you see, Chris, that we should all be aware of? Oh, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you, Chris. It seems like you know the Delta Tunnel thing. Kind of haven't talked about that for a while, but it it poked its head up a couple of times on your last couple of weeks' feed. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. It's it's pretty much flown under the radar, but I think we got past the election and then. 
uh, Harder, uh, Congressman Josh Harder, has a new district that now includes the tunnel, so he's been uh, very mad at uh, the Army Corps of Engineers because they have an environmental document out on the Delta Conveyance Project. But, the you know, the main project, uh, the main environmental document for all the really most important parts of the project, you know, the fish impacts, the flows, all that, was in the the, uh, DWR's uh, uh, environmental document. Army Corps is just, you know, the structures they're going to put on the levee, pretty much. Um, But he's just, like, really mad at them. Uh, And they don't really have anything to do with how much water goes through. They're just, like, permitting the structures on the levee oh i don't know uh but i think he's trying to trying to represent his constituents you know so i gotta hand it hand it to him for that so yeah i just i just thought about you know all that partnership stuff we were talking about and all and it just kind of it just seemed to have uh have gone away when there was uh when there's other topics that uh float to percolate to the top of the list yeah, and you know, partnership, we're not very good at that in the Delta. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah, think we, we could ever say partnership in the Delta. Uh, we, we hope for good relations, but uh, it doesn't yeah. always work that way. Yeah, it doesn't, does it? But anyway, um, Chris, I think, uh, Robbie, you still there? We're coming up to the uh, bottom of the hour, buddy. Yep. Yeah, we're going to take a commercial break. I was just coordinating with our next guest, and uh, he just hooked in. So, uh, Chris, thank you very much for uh, doing what you do. And and everybody, please go to mavensnotebook.com, become a subscriber, become a sponsor. It's the best place to get water news uh, directly to your computer every single day or your laptop or your your uh, your phone or whatever it's uh, that's where we get it and that's why we have the the maven she's the best in the uh, best in the water business so chris austin thank you very much for joining us and we'll talk to you next week all right good evening everybody have a great week chris all right we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we have a special guest coming on uh of a, and he's going to discuss a topic that's uh, near and dear to to uh, chris davies in my uh, my heart it's, it's the only uh we covered a story about Jackson, Mississippi, a while back, and it brought tears to our to our faces. and uh, And we're going to get to somebody who's really you know, knee deep into this and uh, what, what his organization is doing. So stick around. Second half, we'll be back in just a moment after our commercial break. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system to meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, 
sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623-594-8689. Five nine four eight six eight nine. KCAA. All right, uh, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. I'm Rob Star along with Mr. Chris Davy, and uh, we have going to have a very special guest today. Uh, his name is Fred Womack, and he has up uh, an organization called Operation Good, and they're based in Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm sure our listeners, if you remember from some of our shows previously, we we talked in depth uh, to people, the mayor and some other people in Jackson, and it was a real hardened story to listen to, and, and in the sense that it touched me. A lot. It's the first time uh, I had tears in my eyes doing a radio show. I felt so bad for the city and the people who live there about their situation with with dirty water and, and not getting water and and things that the the state isn't doing for them. And uh, and I happened a friend of mine over at uh, Fox Network uh, had a gentleman on named Fred Womack, who we have on the show, going to be here in one second, and uh, he can give us a ground eye view of what he's been doing with his organization and and the super work that he's doing. And, and maybe some of our listeners uh, can find out more about his organization if you want to donate things to help them get deliver water to the residents. That's awesome. So I want to bring on Mr. Fred Womack. Fred, good afternoon or good evening. I know you're in Mississippi, so uh, you're a little later than we are. But thanks for joining us on the Water Zone today. Thank you for having me. Can you give just uh, for our listeners a little bit information about what Operation Good is, and, and then we can go into what your organization is doing and what the situation is on the ground. Okay, great. Uh, well, Operation Good, we're running a cure violence uh, uh, community-based organization uh, currently in some of the impoverished areas of Jackson, uh, it, it, it's a known fact that Jackson have a, a very high uh, gun violence uh, crime rate here. And so we work to reduce it in in conjunction with uh, providing the citizens of the area with their basic necessities in uh, times of emergency, such as we had with the water crisis. Okay. Uh, 
And I know it's been pretty pretty bad there for, for people not being able to get clean water or even water sometimes during the week. And, uh, you know, they can't wash themselves, they can't uh, uh, wash dishes, they can't clean clothes and things like that. But the organization gathers or collects water and, and delivers them to each house. What do you see as the biggest issue? Or st- I, mean, I mean, we know the water is bad and stuff, but what, what's the stumbling block that, that, that's been keeping Jackson from not getting to where it should get? Uh, it's, 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 been, it's been very hectic here. Uh, our infrastructure, for one, is very old. And uh, over the years, we never uh, quite uh, do our due diligence to keep the infrastructure upgraded. Uh, the funding was uh, has been a big issue. And then uh, we had a lot of businesses and things to leave the city of Jackson over the past 30 years, what reduced the tax base. And so, therefore, we were not able to uh, upgrade our infrastructure or do a lot of the things that were uh, necessary to keep, continue to go forward into the future. And so what what's been taking place over the years is we've been having some of the pipes to bust, causing crumbling of the roads and things of that nature. And, and uh, until we had this uh, flood recently that, really uh, exposed the weaknesses in our system and caused the water treatment plant uh, to start uh, putting out even bad water, worse water. It it went down and put the city in a complete drought in which uh, lasted for quite some time. And even now uh, with the water treatment plant some somewhat uh, working, we still have some of the pipes to uh, burst throughout the city. Wow. Yeah. Fred, let me ask you a question. This is Chris. Welcome to the Water Zone, by the way. So awesome to have you uh, on. As Rob said, the story of Jackson and the water issue there is something that is near and dear to both of our hearts. We were all over it when... Uh, you know, when it was happening on the show here. And so uh, just uh, when Rob told me, told me you were coming on, I was super excited. So um, welcome. So let me, I've, I've got a couple of questions coming in from our listeners. They're kind of, you know, wanting to know a little bit more about Operation Good um, plus uh, Cure Violence. So how, can I, a couple of questions here. How long has it been in existence? Kind of like when did you, when did you get the start? Um, and then the follow-up question for that is: Is it Operation Good? Did you did this all start way back in the you know when the when uh, Jackson had the water issue? And is that how your organization uh, came to to uh, prominence? Well, actually, we've been doing this uh, this type of work uh, for about ten years now. Uh, what uh, prompted us to do what we do was uh, we was trying to reduce the rate. Of recidivism uh, in Mississippi and okay. and in the Jackson area, and we're doing that. It led us into uh, working with communities that had very high crime rates and and very impoverished. So with with working in those areas, we realized that uh, we had a violent problem, and so we tried to utilize the resources that we had uh, with the in 
get it to like come back on some of the the, the crime problem. And in 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 the neighborhoods we were working in, uh, during that time we were having water problems, right? Like I said, the pipes were busting throughout the city, so we started like uh, providing the citizens with like uh, the water that they needed uh, during those crises with food and. It led on up until the coronavirus, uh, when we had the, the pandemic to sweep through and shut everything down. So we pretty much uh, got very widespread throughout the city with providing food for the citizens, uh, for the elderly, and the kids were out of school. A lot of the kids here uh, depend on the lunch program with school to eat, and with them being out of school, that, that was creating another issue which made more violence. So we try to provide the food, provide the, you know, basic necessities that were needed and, you know, just kept everything going in the city throughout that pandemic. Uh, and so over time, uh, the violence problem increased with the shutdown and so forth. So our, our uh, expertise was needed more in some of the uh, worst areas of Jackson, in which we uh, started the Cure Violence Program, which is a, a national model that uh, we use to try to combat the, the gun violence in the South Jackson area of the city. And when we got there, we realized that it, it was, you know, a lot of uh, problems with homelessness, a lot of problem with uh, uh, mental health, drug addiction, uh, and uh, the sewage system here was very bad. We had a spillover of uh, raw sewage running through the street. The kids growing up in that type of environment, uh, litter, things of that nature. So we just kind of went hard at cleaning up the area, trying to make the environment more conducive for the kids and uh, try to uh, reduce some of the gun violence that was taking place. Uh, and and we we realized when the water situation came about that we had a lot of uh, elderly that was like, you know, stuck at home. So we tried to be able to move around the area to provide the basic necessities to them. And it's just been an ongoing no struggle here, and and we sure. started out as one thing and lead to another. Has this, you know, Jackson being the should be the flagship city for Mississippi since it's the capital? Do you do you think the government, the state government, is doing enough to do that, or is there problems in there moving moving efforts forward, or you know? Are they not going to the U.S. government and requesting emergency help and money? And what's slowing that down at, the, at their end? Okay, well, you know, there have been money sent to the state of Mississippi for the infrastructure and different things of that nature. However, once they get to the state of Mississippi, they go through its own process of where it allocates the money to. Uh, for the city of Jackson, the only way it get money, it had to get it in the form of a loan, for the most part. And 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 as I stated, our tax base being reduced and trying to get a loan that need to be repaid, that made things more difficult uh, for the funding uh, apparatus. 
the majority of the city, the more affluent areas of the city, so that uh, it will be ran by uh, a capital complex and industrial district, which will give the monies and things of that nature to this district and take more money from the uh, city of Jackson. And with that, they they call it to help reduce the balance in the area, but it's going to put Jackson even more in the a financial strain. Mm. Wow. You know, like I said, it, it touched both Chris and I doing the show yeah. the last time when we had with, with the other, other NBC reporters and stuff. And it was just, I got to say, it's one of the most heartbreaking things, especially in the United States, you know, I, I won't get political here, but I know we as a country give money to help everybody around the world, and mm-hmm. and even people that hate us, we still help out in emergencies. And I just don't understand why some of that money that we give to everybody else they can't use for people that live here, our children, or you. Any, I'll, I'll just say it. It's, it's it's human beings. We're all human beings. We're all citizens, and and you know we all want. You know, it should be a, a no-brainer that everybody should get clean water and have availability of water. And uh, you know, you know, Jackson's, you know, is, it has its problems. We know Flint, Michigan, and, and you know, once that thing like in Flint came, then I find out places in California and other places, Central California, and other other cities uh, across the country are having the same, you know, are having similar issues. I won't say they're identical or, or the seriousness, but but it's but it's bad. And I, I, you know, to me, that should be a, you know, people's well-being should be a priority in the, in this country. That's that's I believe that's one of our rights to have. And and I'm, you know, I'm glad there's people like you and your organization uh, who are helping and, and and help defining and setting new new strides to to make things better for everybody. But but we all know it's expensive to replace pipes. Uh, and they're old. Even in California, we got pipes that are 100 years old. You know, that are bursting every day. Um, and you know the part that you had with the sewage running down the street. I mean, for health reasons and everything else. And you know, it, it's a trickle down effect. Like you said, the kids couldn't get lunch at school. They couldn't get this because of the COVID. You know, we we should be able as a, as a nation. We can send people to the moon and, and and build rockets and do all these scientific things. But it's really slow when it comes to water. And I don't I don't understand that myself. What's what's the biggest things that um, are you getting assistance from outside the state as well, or is it just from within Mississippi that uh, helps you fund uh, your organization? Okay, with the organization, uh, when this first uh, uh, happened in the summer, uh, we had a lot of people all over the country who who uh, sent water to uh, to us to get out to the people, and we were very very gracious. The people were very gracious because, uh, I mean, from all over the country, uh, everybody were neighborly. You know, they looked out for their neighbor. Uh, we got shipments of water. We had people to drive water here from Florida, uh, Missouri, different places of that nature. Uh, we had delivery of water from uh, uh, the company called Just Water. Uh, we had churches all over the south uh delivering water to us to get out to the people. And also, they were bringing uh, sanitary products so that the people could use to uh, clean themselves due to the fact they couldn't take showers with the water being out. And <clears throat> everybody was very gracious and helpful. We we received donations 
where we can go and buy water. Uh, the local Home Depot, they they were doing their best to keep water coming in so that we can, you know, get it to uh, hand out to the people. And it was good during that time, but, you know, I guess over time, it kind of, uh, people start uh, not sending the resources. And when we just had this current uh, water crisis with the, the freeze, it didn't come in as much as it did over the summer. So we really just been doing our best to get people, uh, you know, drinking water so that they can, you know, make it through. Uh, we were not able to, you know, give them enough so they can, you know, possibly drink, cook, and things of that nature. We, but we were at least able to get them enough to drink so that they could take their medications and so forth. Um, and, and it, like I said, we were very gracious uh, with the stuff that we got. And uh, as you were speaking earlier about the prices, about this, about people should be able to get clean drinking water. You know, that's one of the things that we've been pushing is the fact that that's that's a right for our people. You know, water isn't essential. We went to nursing homes where people went three days without taking their medication because of the fact of this water crisis. But uh, as I stated, uh, you know, they have sent funding this way to work on the, the water treatment system and the infrastructure. We're just running through a lot of, uh, you know, stumbling blocks with our state government, uh, you know, hindering the process. And, you know, that that's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because of the fact that at the end of the day, as you stated, we, we're all people, we're all human. And I know I would, if I can help somebody get uh, uh, some clean water by any way, I'm going to offer that assistance. I'm not going to try to be a stumbling block from getting uh, the clean drinking water to them. Yeah. Well, i tell you, Fred, just Chris again, right? I'm speaking for Rob as well. I know I am because, because I know Rob really well, but we're, we're just in awe at all the stuff that, that you do there and certainly glad that you're there, you're putting in all that hard work and all that time and all that and all that energy. I just want our listeners to know that that even though this is a water show, the stuff that Operation Good Plus uh, Cure Violence does isn't isn't just about the 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 uh, uh, Jackson Water issue. I mean, you know, when Rob called me up and said, "Hey, gotta watch this," um, we saw this uh, Fox News interview you did, Fred, and it was you know, as soon as I saw that, I go, "Man, this is that this is that guy that I've." Uh, that I've seen and read about. I mean, you do you do water and food assistance. We know that, but you also help homeless, and you know you go around cleaning up neighborhoods with the you know unity in the community thing, which I'll ask you about in a second, Fred. You know the sort of uh, thing that you do there. Youth activities, kids events. Um, you fight help fight poverty, uh, racism, addiction, help for uh, people that need help for mental health, um, economic assistance. Seniors, I mean, it does, you know, the list goes on, Fred, but can you tell us about the unity in the community, uh, you know, the sort of a part of that that, that that you do, the as you described, the door-to-door and street-to-street efforts that you do? Right. Uh, you know, we found that people can live next door to one another. They can already know each other from, you know, some time in the past, but because... It, the neighbors 
don't come out to get to know their neighbor, uh, they don't even know that they live there. As a matter of fact, we were having a deal in one community where we brought everybody out to feed and, and you know, for them to get to know one another. And it was two neighbors that live a door, uh, one house apart from one another. They've been knowing each other for 20 years, but they did not know that they live one house apart from one another because of the wow. fact that we don't we don't uh, utilize that aspect anymore of you know the community. And so what we've been trying to do is get everybody to unify with one another within their community to ensure that one with the unity we can make sure that our neighbor is straight. And you know, I, I'm I, I'm a God loving man, God fearing man. And, you know, his greatest commandment was that uh, love thy neighbors as thyself. And so we tried to get that that implemented amongst the people, you know, loving their neighbor as themselves. That by itself would help reduce crime because if you see something, you'll say something, right? You'll keep that type of activity up out of your community because everybody's unified. Uh, during the water crisis, because we've been working so hard within this community, some of the people who did not have vehicles to come and get water or things of that nature, the neighbors will, you know, they'll come and load up and make sure everybody on the street got water, you know, by building that unity within the community. And we tried to build that throughout the city amongst our uh, races, our population, because at the end of the day, we're, we're all human. We're all God's children. And, and without, without helping and assisting our fellow brothers and sisters, you know, it's going to be hard for any of us to, to make it. Uh, I'm a combat soldier. I fought overseas. One thing about it, it don't matter what color you is. It don't matter your socioeconomic status. When the bullets start flying, you're going to lean on your buddy next to you. And we try to yep. create that amongst the people here. You know, you're, you're well, thank absolutely. Thank you for your service, Fred, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you know Fred, I, I was brought up the same way that you're talking right now. You know, I look at it that if every person in, in, in the world cuts their finger and the blood comes out and they do studies or DNA, we're all related to each other. Whether people Absolutely. like it or don't like it, we're all, you know, you may be a, a 20, 20th away uh, cousin of mine. You know, at the end of the day, we're all related to each other, as you said, under God's children and stuff. And I'm not the most religious guy in the world, but I do believe you got to treat people the way people want to be treated themselves. And, and it's just up to help each other. And, and it's really sad that people only come together, like when 9-11 and some of the other disasters and things happen, and they only come together for certain things. It should be that way all the way. It should be that way all the time. We should help our fellow people. We're all the same. We're no different than anybody else. Each individual is just like the next individual. Um, and I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm very proud that I got to talk to you uh, and, and learn a little bit more about your organization. If people want to uh, get more involved with you and help donate or send money, where, where, where can they contact you for your organization? Okay, well, you know, we pretty much move on, use our Facebook uh, page for all things. And uh, it's Operation Good 
Jackson, Mississippi on Facebook. And on there, I think uh, we have a link for a GoFundMe page that we just recently started after the first interview. And uh, we have a cash app where, you know, the people were so gracious, you know, sending us a dollar or two so that, you know, we can buy uh, cases of water, pills of water for the people. And that's, uh, that, that was a uh, uh, dollar sign Operation PMS uh, on Cash App. And, uh, but as far as uh, uh, getting in touch with us, uh, the phone number is on the Facebook page. Uh, we take direct uh, uh, messages on it as well. You know, that's pretty much our way of reaching out to the world through Facebook. Okay, well, great. Fred, keep up the good work. We'd love to have you back on in, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months down the road so we keep tabs on what's happening and you give us the, the what's going on on the ground. So, again, on my behalf, thank you, Chris. I'll let you say your final words. And Yeah, you know what? I appreciate it, Fred. I'm going to say again, we're so excited when you came on. My hat's off to you, sir. Uh, keep up keep up the good work. We're we're very proud to have you on the show. And thanks for picking up the phone and calling in. Thank you all for having me. Okay. To our listeners, thank you very much. And uh, we're going to have a good show uh, next week. So stick around for that. Uh, and uh, the most important thing that Chris and I always tell you to do is please help keep yep. our planet our blue. Planet blue. All right. Everybody have a good week. We'll talk to you next week. Be good. And remember, keep it blue. Good night, everybody. KCAA Loma Linda. The Legacy KCAA 1050 AM and Express 106.5 FM. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. Department of Defense officials are explaining.